No one makes offensive line cooler than you. You know, it's the first time they get to be prom king, right? Like everybody <laughs> uh, in high school nominates the quarterback and the running backs and all that. But uh, I tell the guys on their official visits, like you're going to be treated as as a big man on campus, you know, until you give us a reason to think otherwise. True words have never been spoken. Nobody makes playing offensive line as cool as Brett Bielema. I mean, it's amazing to me how he always seems to find a way to make his offensive line cool. He's like one of a handful that can do it. I don't know how. Offensive line is not cool, but either way, it's fine nonetheless. Look, welcome to Always College Football. We really appreciate you being with us. Today is Wednesday, October 5th. Happy birthday to my second son. We have two boys. Today is the first birthday of JG. So appreciate you, buddy. Love you. Uh, you're one. So you're probably not watching. But if you are, like, rate, and subscribe. Uh, appreciate that very much on the ESPN YouTube channel. Or if you're here with us via the podcast, you can do it on Apple Podcast or on Spotify. Please, five stars, nothing less. Uh, we'd really, really appreciate it. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. We have a great game plan in store for you today as we will be joined by the head coach of the Fighting Illini. They're off to an amazing start, and they're fresh on the heels of an incredible beatdown at the hands of the Wisconsin Badgers. So, Brett Bielema will join the show, and we're going to play the game that we always play here on Wednesdays. Ten questions that we want answered this weekend when it comes to college football. So, without much further ado, let's visit with the head man of the Fighting Illini, Brett Bielema. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, fired up to be joined by my buddy, a guy that I've known for a really long time. Couldn't be happier for the success that he's having, but also not the least bit surprised. He's Coach Brett Bielema. Coach, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Good to be on. Good to see you, my friend. Absolutely. Congrats on an amazing start. I uh, can't say it's all that surprising, <laughs> knowing your process, familiarity with the league that you're in, and, and the dominance that your team's displayed, man. Uh, very easily could be an undefeated football team right now. So what do you think's changed here from year one to year two to give you guys this opportunity that lies in front of you? You know, big picture wise, I would say uh, as a group, I think our coaches are communicating with our players a lot more really in all phases offense, defense, especially. And I think last year they could tell you and regurgitate what we were saying to them, but I don't know if they truly understood it. You know, I say a lot of times in this world, people can definitely hear you, but I don't know if everybody's always listening, right? And I think there's a big difference, right? Like you can, you know, honk a horn and someone stops so they don't stop, right? But like when you listen to somebody and you process what they're saying, big things happen. And then as you know this, you were one of these pretty boys in the beginning, right? Like <laughs> uh, our quarterback play, I think, is really, you know, 
each game has really kind of taken it to a different level. Tommy DeVito has really uh, done a nice job. We're distributing the ball around to a lot of receivers. Chase Brown at the running back position. It's a very special offense. You know, it's funny because Tommy DeVito was a guy and, you know, I don't I don't expect you to speak on what transpired at Syracuse or whatnot, but I remember being really impressed with him at Syracuse at times, like doing a lot of really nice things. When he kind of found his way to your place, I was surprised. So, uh, you know, what went down, I guess, and, and what kind of led to him kind of revitalizing his career under your leadership? You know, to be quite honest, Greg, I, I saw probably what you saw. I saw a guy that when he had time and he wasn't on his back, he was a very accurate passer. He's got a live arm, um, understands the game. Uh, you know, I think he was hit 86 times in two years in the, in, the, in his, his starts at Syracuse. Like, like, that's not any fun for anybody, right? And I right. I assured him and his dad when I went to a home visit the first time, like, listen, if, if my quarterback's getting hit 23 times in one year, we're going to have problems, <laughs> let alone 46. So we, we really assured him of that. And then once he got here, I'm not saying he's Russell Wilson, right? Like Russ, I took from NC State and brought him to Wisconsin, and you literally saw that evolution of a guy that played in that NC State system adopt to what we did there at Wisconsin. And now you're seeing right. Tommy, you know, learn the efficiency of early down checkdowns, right? Uh, put the money in the bank and keep going forward. He learned the efficiency of the red zone operation, uh, how to play ahead of the chains, how to not make uh, plays that can get you beat. And, and he's really adopted very, very well and excited where we can go. Yeah, it's been amazing to watch his development. And I, I think the sky's the limit on his potential. He's got a live arm like you referenced. And I think he's pretty dang accurate when his feet are set. Uh, I know that you are in an incredibly beautiful facility. I think it's one of the nicest football facilities I've ever been, the Smith Football Center. It's great. And I'm not saying that that Henry Dale and Betty Smith, they're, they're incredible donors to Illinois football. But the best donor family might be the Brown family because you have both Chase and Sydney. Uh, Chase on offense and what Sydney does on the back end of your defense. You took both these guys to media days. You had to have anticipated a special season. So, Coach, what did you know about these guys prior to the year? Well, first off, uh, Greg, when I got here, I, I – I tried to, you know, kind of get these features to tell them apart because I couldn't tell them apart from Adam. Now they made it, they made it easier on us. They got, they cut their hair. Chase has no hair. Sid has a whole bunch of hair, so they made it a little bit easier on everybody. But um, very, very similar in a lot of ways: demeanor, attitude, athletic ability. Uh, and they're incredible players off the field. Like, hey, hey, Sid, Chase, what'd you have for breakfast, uh, Coach? We had egg whites and chicken sausage, right? Well, what'd you have for dinner? We had spinach and uh, some some ground bison. Like that's that's their meal, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> when we were at that meal in uh, Indy for Big Ten Media Days, they, they had a Coke, and that was like a really big deal to have a beverage that was not uh, 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 organic in some way. So, But, you know, bottom line, Chase is the nation's leading rusher. Uh, Sydney is uh, kind of one of the lead signal callers, uh, guys that make it happen for one of the best defenses in the country, and they're, they're biological twins. It's a very unique thing. It's a, it's a lot of fun to be around. It's been really special to watch, and I, I know that – First of all, I think Chase and and I honestly, Coach, if I had a Heisman ballot, he'd be on it right now. And I know it's September, October, whatever. I mean, yeah. he's in the mix there, though. I mean, he's that type of difference maker watching how he runs and, and now seeing what Coach Looney's doing offensively and how things have adjusted. You know, how have you kind of progressed, you know, from your days at Wisconsin and Arkansas to where you're at now? You're running that kind of pro style tempo stuff that's yeah. you know kind of becoming the offense du jour. You know, Greg, it's, it, it, you know, I saw a stat this week that uh, we're actually the seventh. Uh, uh, we're number seven in the country in time of possession, but we're running an up-tempo offense. So that tells you right <laughs> there, right? Like we're doing a great job of doing what's beneficial for us, right? We may 
run it fast. We snap the ball sometimes under 10 seconds. We may snap the ball with two seconds left on the clock. Um, I think Coach Lunny has done a really good job of blending what we like to do and running the ball as well as throwing the ball. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago we had a 105-yard rusher and we had two receivers over 100 yards in receiving, right? That's never been done uh, here, and, it, and it's it's something that hadn't been big in my career. But uh, the quarterback drives it all. Uh, as you mentioned, Coach Lunny has uh, adopted what he's brought from UTSA and kind of put it in the Illinois system. We have, I, I think our offensive line is probably one of the biggest changes from year one to this year, um, just the offensive line and what they're able to do, not just in the run game, but also protecting the quarterback. Well, I knew we wouldn't be able to have a conversation about your team without you talking about the offensive line. Like no one makes offensive line cooler than you. Uh, I'm not sure like Sam Pittman gives you a run for your money and maybe a couple other O-line coaches, but like no one loves up their O-line. I mean, shoot, back in the day, you had O-linemen throwing touchdown passes. You know how to make that position sexy, man. I'm not sure what you do, but it's amazing. You know, it's the first time they get to be prom king, right? Like everybody uh, in high school nominates the quarterback and the running backs and all that. But uh, I tell the guys on their official visits, like you're going to be treated as as the big man on campus, you know, until you give us a reason to think otherwise. And uh, I, I think it's really paying dividends. We we have two tackles uh, that are uh, going to be not only good college players, but we'll we'll make that next step. Uh, and then two guys right behind them that are training right now and putting themselves in a position where. We're really building that position up in, in, in inventory. Yeah, Pacheski's, you know, he's been fun to watch as well. I know he's a big, important leader. And if you need a year, you know, proof is in the pudding. When you look at your game notes, coach, you have the offensive line on page six. Usually it goes in order of importance. Page six is the offensive line. Then, then it goes quarterbacks, running backs, what have you. So any team that leads with the offensive line in the game notes tells you all you need to know about the priorities. Not to be overshadowed, though, the defense coach. You guys had some guys yeah. flat out get after you in the front. Uh, and I've been very impressed with the athleticism you guys have on the second level and the back end defensively. So how have you kind of seen that group progress from year one to year two? You know, uh, to be honest, Greg, it was some of the – the things I learned during my uh, you know, time at Wisconsin, but also when I was at Arkansas, when we had good O-line play, good D-line play, we were usually pretty good when we when we suffered in those arenas. Uh, I think that's one thing the SEC has a more of abundance of, you know, the, the, the SEC D-linemen, I think, are, you know, universally, every team was just kind of an eye-opener, and I've tried to bring that here, and uh, it all starts up front. We, we have some guys in the back end that are playing extremely well, too, but, yeah, Keith Randolph, uh, uh, Johnny Newton, uh we have a, an, an interior player in Calvin Avery. Those three guys are playing at a high level. We have a couple overhang players, a freshman, Gabe Akis from Florida, uh, who, who's come in and uh, set the world on fire. I think our, our linebackers in general have tied it all together. So it's a good defense. They play very, very uh, stingy. Don't let anything go over top of them, and they line up and play every down. It's pretty amazing because I look at your defense um, and, and really it's kind of all over the roster. It's yeah, you have some guys that are homegrown They're They're from the big 10 footprint from the Midwest, but man, you're all over the place in recruiting. I mean, you're in Florida, you're in Texas, you have a few guys from the Southeast for the Alabama, Tennessee. I mean, where exactly are you trying to prioritize on the recruiting trail right now to bring guys to Champaign and, and obviously put together an, an athletic roster that compete with anybody? Without a doubt, when I took the job, I said it the first day, and I'll say it today, we, we put a huge emphasis on the state of Illinois. Illinois will sign, you know, probably over 40 to 45 uh, on a wow, given year, many. Division wow. One. Yeah, you know, not just Chicago either. There's a lot of, sure. you know, that's that's a little spot. We, you know, a lot of our best players are downstate Illinois players mm -hmm. down into St. Louis. So our, our recruiting map really is Illinois in every border state, right? So you get into Minnesota, Ohio, you get into Iowa, and you do some different things. But then – 
Uh, we really have concentrated heavily in New Jersey and, and Florida. Um, our defense ranks statistically as one of the best in the country. We have seven, six starters on, on the on defense side of the ball from the state of Florida. And, and it's up front. It's in the linebacker position and in the DB room. So it's really everywhere. Uh, last week when the hurricane hit, I had all of our coaches reach out uh, to any of the players that we had from Florida that had family. And it was like literally our entire defensive roster. Uh, Pat Bryan are, are probably one of our standout wide receivers. He's another wide receiver from Florida. So, yeah, we're, we're doing well in the state of Florida, Jersey, and really the Midwest. Coach, finally, I know I know you're short on time. We so appreciate just how generous you've been with us uh, and the time that you've been able to provide. But looking ahead, I mean, last week was a remarkable performance, especially in the second half. I mean, just a flat-out beatdown uh, of a school you're obviously very familiar with. Uh, it doesn't get any easier. Iowa's great, obviously, especially against the run. You have a lot of great Minnesota coming up in a few weeks. Great against the run. What What is currently right now, what is the Big Ten? Is, and how is it different from the Big Ten that you left nearly a decade ago? Yeah, great question. Well, obviously, we added two big names out west, right? So the, the conference is really <laughs> changing on a, on a daily here. And uh, I think the addition of UC, USC and UCLA is really going to change. Even the dynamics, we won't get them in until 24, but I think it's going to have an immediate impact on recruiting. Uh, I think in the Big Ten West, you see – uh, you know, Minnesota was probably the highest ranked guy until a year ago or a week ago when Purdue got him. And um, obviously we played Wisconsin. So uh, the East Ohio State continues to be very impressive. But, you know, I think anybody in this conference can get anybody on any given Saturday. I think it's just yeah. like every other conference. But um, I, I do like, you know, one of the cool things in my previous career at Wisconsin, I was the last coach to win a Big Ten title the traditional way, right, without a Big Ten championship game. And then I won the first two Big Ten championship games to give us three in a row, uh, and nobody's been able to do that since. So uh, to come back in this league and, you know, get in the chase and hopefully get to a point where we can uh, be in a, a championship game is going to be a special feeling. But we're just – we're literally trying to build it one day, one day at a time here and do what we got to do to get another game against Iowa. Well, if there's anything I know about you, Coach, you'll have them there before you know it. I uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate the time, and, and thank you so much for being generous with us. And, and we look forward to watching you guys continuing to compete, and, and hopefully we'll see you guys down the road fighting for that Big Ten championship. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. I love Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, here we go. We do it every single Wednesday. Just push it back a little bit this week because we'd always have a great guest on a Wednesday, but this week we did. So in an effort to accommodate Brett Bielema, we'll slide back 10 things we want answered this weekend of 
college football. So, Coops, let's kick it off. All right, number one, how will Tennessee handle the road test at LSU? All right, last time out. Okay, it feels like forever, I might add. I don't know about you. Tennessee, Florida might as well have been played in July. I mean, I don't know why that game feels so long ago, but it does, and here we are. Uh, Last time out, they combined along with Florida to punt the ball just one time. Uh, The last time out, they had a comfortable 17-point fourth quarter lead, only to make that game a little tight there at the very end. All right, a few things that you have to get ironed out if you're Tennessee. Look, you're going on the road. The game's at 11 o'clock, by the way, so I've never seen LSU at 11 o'clock, but I would imagine it's wild. (laughs) Needless to say, probably rather play at 11 than at night, but either way, uh, probably be interesting. Interesting pregame, interesting setup there in the pregame leading up to the game at 11 o'clock local. I can't even imagine what time people will start drinking. We will find out. Uh, Here's the big thing going on the road. One, you can't turn the football over. All right, we know that. Because all about being on the road and handling the road environment, you cannot create adversity for yourself. Can't turn the ball over. All right, it got to be better. They didn't do a great job of that against Florida a couple times out. A little bit of an issue, that's for sure. Princeton Fant put the ball on the turf. Hendon Hooker. Really, for the first time all season, he he didn't look great in the pocket, at least early on. Uh, But uh, you had that sack fumble, and and, it was fine. Uh, They also had a snap go over Hendon Hooker's head. Of course, that was wiped out because of the Florida offsides penalty. Uh, They also got stopped on fourth down early in the game, too. So, you know, those four plays, I, I know they might not seem significant, but those four plays can have a massive impact on you on the road. Fortunately for Tennessee, they were at home when they played against the Gators. They also, I think, showed us just this past week the depth of weapons. Look, if Cedric Tillman continues to be unavailable, he did have the tightrope procedure, so hopefully he'll be back sooner than later. But we know Brew McCoy can get it. We know Vermel Keaton, he made some acrobatic and incredible catches. We know that both Prince of Fant and Jacob Warren looked really good at tight end for the most part, both contributing at several different points in the game, in the passing game, and you know they can run the ball as well. So you know they have depth of weapons. But the other thing you have to do a good job of, when you're on the road, you got to be great situationally. If you look at Tennessee's performance against Florida, not great when it came to situational defense. Florida was 7 of 15 on third down. That's not bad. It's actually pretty good. 7 to 15 is not bad at all. I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, you'd love to hold the opponent to under 40%, but either way, 7 to 15 on third down is not terrible. You want to know what it is? 5 of 6 allowed on fourth down. So you combine it all, Florida was 12 of 21 in extending drives. It's not very good. Okay, That's going to be very important as they move forward and being able to make sure that's you know not something they need to iron out. So on got to have it downs, they need to be better because when you're on the road, you have to do a really good job of that. I might add, too, on fourth down plays, Anthony Richardson was three for three for 52 yards. So they're not just giving up first down yardage. They're giving up big plays. So they got to be better in those particular areas. And then finally, look, LSU hasn't been great throwing the ball. Just this past week really struggled. But feels like they're due. They have good wide receivers. And if you look at what Jaden Daniels has been, He's pretty accurate when he throws the ball. He just hasn't thrown the ball very often. And I think he's going to need to take advantage of the 128th ranked pass defense in America this week. Tennessee, they're gettable in the secondary. And LSU has super talented wide receivers. So I think it's going to be a great matchup. I look forward to it. Tennessee's got to play their best game of the year in order to get a win on the road in what should be a fairly difficult environment. All right, number two. 
Who will be the better quarterback, Jalen Daniels or Max Duggan? How about this? I mean, to talk about unexpected, right? Max Duggan actually started the season as a backup. And then Jalen Daniels, no one was talking about him in the preseason. Like I was prepared. One of my best friends is on the staff at Kansas and I didn't know anything about Jalen Daniels. So uh, I've been very impressed with what these, these two guys have done right now. They are currently first and third in the country in regards to total QBR. Jalen Daniels won. Max Duggan is three. Okay. Max Duggan became just the second player over the last 15 years with a 60 yard passing touchdown and a 60 yard rushing touchdown in one quarter of a football game. The other is Lamar Jackson. Okay. It's pretty amazing. When you're in the same company as Lamar Jackson, you know, you're doing something right. Duggan has been incredible this year after taking over for the injured Chandler Morris early on. He's been accurate. He's been, I think, willing to test defenses deep. And what I didn't realize, which he added last week, was just how capable a runner he is. Shoot, man, you watch him run on several different occasions. I mean, he had a couple big runs against Oklahoma. The touchdown down the right sideline, I mean, the safety for Oklahoma, Key Lawrence, number 12. I mean, he took a terrible angle. And sure enough, boop, Max Duggan just right around the edge. I don't think anyone realized he had those kind of wheels. So he's been very impressive. And then Jalen Daniels, it's been documented what he's done up to this year. He is number one right now in total QBR in college football, uh, over 95. He's two points shot, uh, two points above CJ Stroud, who's number two. So he's number one by a fairly wide margin right now. Now, it, it wasn't uh, a big week for him last week, just seven to 14. But if you look at what he's done up to this point, he is the reason why Kansas is undefeated. So if I had to pick one right now, uh, I'm leaning towards Max Duggan. Shockingly enough, especially with what he did last week with his legs. But either way, man, I think both guys are excellent. I just like Max Duggan's willingness to be aggressive. Shoot, man, he's going to throw it up. He's going to throw it deep over and over and over again. If you can't cover it, they're going to get P.I. or his receivers are going to make an acrobatic catch. It's pretty amazing. And he seems to really take advantage of busted coverage in the back end. So I think it's coin toss. I love these two guys. They've been playing incredible football, but right now I lean just ever so slightly in favor of Max Duggan and what should be the best quarterback matchup of the weekend. Man, I was hoping we'd start to see a Heisman campaign come out of Lawrence. Oh, well. All right, number can, three. It, why wouldn't it? I'm Tell me he's off the list. I, I can't oh, tell you on, he's, on, he's on, but this is one of those state, like this is an early statement, you know, like everybody's sitting there. Okay. Can they win against TC? You know, like it's. Unfortunately for them, like everything. they've beaten, they've beaten good teams. They've beaten good teams, yes. but you need to beat teams with numbers next to their name exactly. in order for them to probably get the notoriety necessary for Jalen Daniels to really put together a legitimate campaign. So many opportunities. All right, number three, can Arkansas bounce back and get a win on the road at Mississippi State? I think a lot of this depends on the health of K.J. Jefferson at this point. According to his head coach, Sam Pittman, quote, K.J. has some mild symptoms, uh, talking about concussion, by the way. Uh, each kid, this is also an extended quote, quote, each kid's a little different with how they react. They've had guys be back in three to four days, and they've had guys be out 27 days. Uh, so they're going to be very, very cognizant of where KJ Jefferson is. Remember, uh, he was hit, took a big hit, play, came out, came back in for a snap, and then he was sidelined the rest of the day. In came Cade Ford, and he took it the rest of the way. A couple, couple series, not, not a whole lot. A lot of people were very surprised 
that it was actually Cade Fortin, who's the walk-on transfer from South Florida. A lot of people thought maybe it'd be Malik Hornsby, who's the most athletic player on the team, uh, arguably the fastest player on the team, which says a lot because there's some speedster on the Arkansas roster. But ultimately, if KJ Jefferson can't go, uh, I don't see how they get the win. Uh, if he can go, I do think they'll be well-equipped to potentially take advantage of an aggressive Mississippi State defense. Uh, KJ Jefferson's played a lot of football, and they have some guys that can catch and run. If you have some guys that can catch and run, you can create some problems for Mississippi State because they're going to pressure so much. The other thing, too, uh, it might not matter who's going to quarterback if things don't get better for Arkansas on the back end. Look, it's been documented. Yes, they've been a little bit better the last couple of weeks in pass defense, but still they're giving up 290 yards a game. It's 124th in college football. They're up from 131. So like I said, slight improvement. However, they're going against Mississippi State, Mike Leach, Air Raid, Will Rogers, great receivers. They average 350 a game through the air. So this is a strength versus a weakness for Arkansas. The good news is for Arkansas is they can get after the quarterback. We've seen that already this year. They have 21 sacks. That's second most in college football. So that could potentially position them to disrupt the rhythm of the passing game that Mike Leach likes to employ. So whatever the deal is, whatever the recipe is, Arkansas's had it the last couple of years. Right now, Arkansas is 2-0 against Mike Leach since Mike Leach re-entered the SEC. I say re-entered because he was a coordinator a million years ago. So Arkansas has had the right recipe. Barry Odom has played this. He's the defensive coordinator of Arkansas. He's played this air raid time and time again, so he understands how to defend it. But it will be difficult, especially if they're without their quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, knowing going into a spot like this is never easy for a guy that has had limited reps as a starter and, and Cade Fortin, assuming he might get the go. All right, staying in the SEC, number four, will Georgia look sharp against Auburn? They're due, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, I'm not number sure they can play. Team or two team should be sharp, but yes. Uh, they have not played well the last couple of weeks, um, kind of going through the motions. I'd be concerned if they'd slept walked through the first few matchups as well. Um, that hasn't been the case. Uh, we saw them dominate South Carolina. We saw them dominate what appears to be a pretty good Oregon team. So I'm not going to lose a whole lot of sleep about them playing poorly against both Missouri and against Kent State because I've seen them play well already this year. I am a little bit concerned about how Georgia struggled a little bit against that disruptive defensive line for Missouri. Those guys were moving, and Georgia did not do a very good job of locking on. As a result, they did not create a lot of explosives uh, in the pass game, nor did they create a lot of explosives in the run game as well. I also think that it's very important right now for Georgia to identify who are going to be the playmakers that can break the game open beyond Brock Bowers. We know Brock Bowers is a man-child, all right? He's their most explosive weapon. But man, they need someone to step up opposite him. Hopefully, it'll be one of the excellent running backs. Because so far, the running backs, not that they've been disappointing, but think about the standard that's been set for Georgia at running back over the years. Dating all the way back to Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. And then, of course, Zamir White had a great run. James Cook last year, exceptionally good. We'd heard all offseason about Milton McIntosh. Milton McIntosh. Well, Edwards actually is the guy that got the carries in crunch time last week. And he's a good player. He's fine, but he's not necessarily Nick Chubb 2.0. So uh, I hold the running back room at Georgia to a higher standard like everybody else. And so far, I wouldn't say that those guys have lived, necessarily lived up 
to that standard. So we'll see where they go from here. I actually think they match up really well against Auburn. And I also think their size at tight end and their size along the offensive line will wear Auburn down. Auburn is really good amongst their starting five. They're going to be without Ikuliota. He just had a torn peck. He's going to be out for a while. But the starting front seven is very good for the Auburn Tigers. Cam Riley, by the way, a linebacker for Auburn. He's also going to be out. This is a very thin football team. Once you get beyond the starters, there's a pretty significant drop-off. And God forbid you get beyond the second team, they're in serious trouble. So if I'm Georgia, I want to impose my will at the line of scrimmage and deliver body blow after body blow after body blow. They match up well, like I said, their offensive line against Auburn's defensive line. And I want to force Auburn's defensive line to play a lot of snaps because fatigue will become a significant factor. And if fatigue's a factor in the second half of that football game, Georgia will win it running away. So I think they match up really well. Uh, and I think Auburn's going to have to play flawless football to keep this thing close. All right. Number five, can UCLA keep it going and hand Utah their second loss? The best thing that UCLA has going for them right now is that they collectively have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, I think it was pretty obvious uh, when Doreen Thompson Robinson retweeted an USA Today article last week saying, quote, have you ever seen a less impressive 4-0 team, end quote. Right, so they're very aware of what's being said about them, and I think Chip Kelly is pressing some of the buttons there internally about these guys not getting any respect. Meanwhile, SC, the crosstown rival, everyone's anointing them as God's gift to football. So I think right now the fact that UCLA is kind of operating in the shadows is a great, great thing. The problem is how much longer can they stay there? <laughs> I think they keep having performances like last Friday. Yeah, they're going to get some love. That's probably not the best thing for him, if I'm going to be completely honest. Look, DTR has grown by leaps and bounds as a passer. Uh, but remember kind of what kind of gave Utah issues against Florida? It's quarterback run game. Improvisational scrambles. Anthony Richardson in that game ran for over 100 yards and a couple touchdowns. And remember, he had that incredible play on the two-point conversion where he made a guy miss, extended the play, threw it to the back of the corner of the end zone. Nobody was covering the guy. It was an easy two-point conversion. So... I think unless Utah has significantly improved as far as not allowing quarterback scrambles off of broken pass plays, then, hey, man, DTR could have a day. I mean, Utah's got to get a lot better in that regard, and I'm not sure they've seen it just yet. We know they also have identified a number one wide receiver. Bobo is a big problem for Utah. He's got great length. And by the way, he's a big problem for anybody. Uh, so he's got great length. It's going to be difficult, I think, for Utah, who likes to employ a lot of man coverage. Will they be able to match up against Bobo, who is not only a threat in the field of play, but also a huge threat with 6-5 in the red zone? Uh, and defensively, that's where I would probably be the most concerned if I'm UCLA and being able to go against a Utah team that is cooking, Okay. Yeah, they, they were the first team to sack Michael Penix. They did so twice. They also intercepted a couple passes. And if you look at, you know, some of the yardage that was given up, man, 345 yards Penix finished with, a lot of that was kind of, you know, as you, as UCLA was kind of getting a little bit less aggressive and being a little bit more passive, and they were kind of sitting on a comfortable lead. So I, I do think the defense is, is better. For sure, under the first-year coordinator, Bill McGovern. 
but I'm not convinced yet that they've seen an attack just like Utah has. I know statistically speaking, Washington's better. I think Utah is more seasoned, more battle-tested, and will provide a bigger challenge. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson needs to be very aware of where Clark Phillips is coming off a three-interception game. He's the first Ute in Pac-12 history to have three interceptions in a game. And I think Utah, if they can be better running the football, they have not been very good amongst their running backs running the football in obvious run plays. Like So far, Cam Rising has probably been maybe their most consistent option as far as running the football is concerned. And that's not something you want to make a habit of. You look at it. I mean, Jalen Dixon... Uh, you know, had one carry for 22 yards. That's pretty good. Uh, Bernard had 19 yards on six carries. Uh, Glover had 18 yards on six carries. Uh, Tavian Thomas had 13 yards on six carries. Like that, that's not good enough for a Utah team. Now, granted, hey, Oregon State's good against the run. I get that, but that's not good enough, man. Utah's got to be more balanced if they're going to get to where they got last year, and that's to the Pac 12 title game and ultimately to a Pac 12 championship. All right. Number six, can BYU stop Notre Dame's rushing attack? Well, let's start with where BYU's at defensively right now. They've given up 200-plus in two of the last three weeks. They gave up 212 against Oregon. Not good, obviously. Uh, even more concerning, however, was the 204 they gave up last week on Thursday to Utah State. Look, I get that there were a few issues with their preparation for Utah State. They were prepping all week, probably for Logan Bonner, and who knows exactly how that all went down. Instead, in comes Cooper Laga, who is a runner, and now all of a sudden Utah State's coming out with quarterback run game, and it's like it's probably a different offense that they had anticipated for. So they're trying to burn some chalk on the sideline and trying to make adjustments, and and that's not easy on anybody. I don't care what the circumstances are. So uh, I do think that maybe BYU's rush defense isn't as bad as maybe the last couple weeks have indicated. However, you look at both Utah State and Wyoming, um, the two Mountain West teams, and they had a lot of success for the most part controlling the clock and running the football and kind of playing takeaway against BYU's very potent offense. Like BYU is an offense-centric football team. It's mind-blowing to think that, but that's kind of where they're at right now with Jaron Hall, those talented wide receivers. So I, I think if you can play takeaway like Notre Dame's probably going to try to do, then they could be their keep away, uh, not takeaway, takeaway too if they want to take away, but keep away. If they're going to play keep away, kind of keep Jaron Hall on the sidelines, kind of disrupt the rhythm, they could be cooking with gas. The BYU defense has played a little bit better the last few weeks in second halves. But the first half football games have not been good. Certainly not up to the standard that we've seen from BYU in the past. Let's talk about Notre Dame just for a hot second. Uh, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. First three games, Notre Dame didn't run the ball any effectiveness whatsoever. They averaged three and a half yards of carry against both Cal and Marshall. They averaged two and a half yards of carry against, against Ohio State. So... Yeah, it's great that they ran all over North Carolina, averaged five and a half yards a carry, ran for nearly 300 yards, 287 to be exact. It's great that they were able to do that, but can they actually do that against a team with a pulse defensively? That's a legitimate question for me right now. So I'm trying to figure out, kind of like what I talked about with Michigan the other day, like is their defense that good or is Iowa's offense that inept? It's kind of where I'm at right now with Notre Dame's rushing attack. Are they way better now at running the football because of the numbers that they put up against North Carolina? 
or is North Carolina that batter against the run to where those numbers are inflated because of the level of competition? That's what I'm trying to figure out right now. So I'm in a little bit of a holding pattern. I think Notre Dame will do a really good job in this football game. And I think they match up really well against BYU. I lean slightly, slightly towards the Irish at this point, but it's going to be a tricky one for sure, especially if Jaron Hall gets the whole gamut of wide receivers back and they can get to a nice rhythm offensively early. All right. Number seven. Will Alabama embarrass Texas A&M this weekend? It's hard for me to say yes to this. Uh, now, on paper, right, Alabama is a lot better. Um, Alabama also has some question marks right now. Um, most notably the health of their quarterback is Bryce young, hundred percent. Can he drive the football? Can he throw it into tight windows? Can he push the ball down the field? These are all legitimate questions. And with an AC sprain, uh, a lot of it has to do with pain management. And if he can't cut it loose without pain, it'll be really difficult for this offense to do what they want to do as far as creating balance, uh, balance on, you know, both running and throwing the football. So that's something that I'm very interested in. Uh, the other thing I'd say is I would expect Texas A&M's best this week. Um, what is A&M's best? Uh, what I've seen so far, it hasn't been good, but I caution you like I caution everybody, man. Last year, I remember vividly going on the fine bomb show and remember what, Texas a looked like in the weeks leading up to the Bama game last year. They were atrocious, atrocious against Arkansas. Couldn't do anything. They were awful offensively against Colorado. They were, I mean, they were, they were A&M in the first month of the season last year was not good. A little bit like this year, if I'm going to be completely honest. And what happened when Bama came to town? They had by far their best offensive output of the season up to that point. They had by far their best defensive performance along the defensive front and made life very difficult for Bryce Young with how they rushed the passer. So I think you're going to get AM's best this weekend. It's just a matter of whether or not AM's best is good enough to keep it competitive. Uh, that's That, I think, is a, is a legitimate question mark. Uh, I think the question mark surrounding the quarterback for AM right now, is Haynes King going to go? Is Mac Johnson going to go? If it is Haynes King, can he keep a clean sheet? Can he keep the, keep from throwing interceptions, which is obviously a huge part of why he is no longer the starter when everyone else is healthy. Uh, can the defensive line mature before our eyes? And can those edge defenders create the problems that were created a year ago? I mean, these are all legitimate questions. Will Alabama, if they do have to go with Jalen Milrow, will they be able to run basically that pseudo wildcat formation where they have so much speed in the backfield? And will AM be able to defend that? Because AM's defense has been great. Uh, AM's corners and secondary players, probably the strength of the team. Uh, in a lot of ways, they're the strength of the team. Didn't appear that way last week. But if you look at them really up to, to the to last week, that's that's a really good group. I mean, the secondary is very solid. And, you know, I think they can match up pretty well against Alabama. But Alabama now has a couple young receivers that really burst last week. They're probably as confident as they've ever been. Uh, if Milrow's in there, can he hit those guys downfield? Because there's probably going to be some downfield shots. I mean, there's so many questions surrounding this game. Like, I think Alabama wins the game comfortably. Uh, but, I mean, the line's 20. <laughs> That's a lot of points. Knowing that you're probably going to get a very talented team in a and It's a talented team. Say what you want about the Aggies. Say what you want about their offensive inefficiencies and the struggles that they've had in the first month of the season. They're still a talented football team. They're young, but they're talented. 
I will also say this. I think that AM, if they play their very best game, they can play with anybody. So we'll see. Uh, I, I think Bama wins the game comfortably. I think they've had this one circled. And, and I think Nick Saban's probably, even though he'll never admit it, he's probably had this one circled too. But uh, I'd be lying if I said Jimbo probably didn't have it circled as well. So we'll see. I think it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be a great game. I, I like this has become kind of a, you know, a, an evil hatred rivalry. Like it's just, I like that there's some animosity, you know, between the two schools. So uh, hopefully it'll be a fun one. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't get crazy, crazy sideways because it's CBS's lone primetime game of the year. And if it gets sideways, that'd be, you know, that'd be kind of a bummer for everybody. So <laughs> I got bad news. It's going to get sideways. No way Nick Saban's losing in back-to-back games. Against I'm not Jimbo saying Fisher. he loses, I'm not saying he loses but I, I think people think they're going to just go out and put up half a hundred. I, I would, I did, and I wouldn't, and I think not if you could, yeah, if you could, it'd be great. I mean, I just think it's going to be tough because I think A&M is pretty good on defense. I don't think they're very good this on offense. Don't cross me game. For Nick Saban. All right. He's never going to say it. And you know him better than anybody. And I'm just saying, I'd like, but well, tr- traditionally, though, he has not exercised grudges. Like he's had yes, issues right. with right. a lot of people in the past. He's not one that like runs one it up because he wants to prove after a him, point. Though. Name one coach that ever came after him and challenged that. Like, that's what I'm saying. Oh my like, gosh. Yes, maybe not, maybe not publicly in the media. Exactly. You know how many coaches have come after him on the recruiting trail? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, millions. Not, right. <laughs> so, right. But publicly, so like, he has a grudge with probably everybody. <laughs> exactly. Because they, but they kept that, you know, that's why he doesn't beat teams by 50. This one he's going to. Just saying. All right. We'll see. Number eight. Will NC State bounce back at home against Florida State? I think I think they have to be better in the second half, right? I mean that that was the big key last week. Is is that yes? You look at the first half of that football game, and there was a little bit of a backbreaking moment when Clemson was able to answer there at the end of half. Uh, so that was a that was a tricky spot. Obviously, you know you, you look at where NC State was. I didn't think they ever really protected all that well. And then really in the second half, man, you look at Clemson. They really started to tee off defensively. There were a lot of missed opportunities, I thought, by NC State that, you know, they, they just I, I just don't feel like the offense played great. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how else to spin it. I mean, the offense this year, dating all the way back to week one, has been just kind of lukewarm. I mean, I think that there have been drop passes. Uh, there have been turnovers. Uh, I don't think Devin Leary's been great. I don't think the protection along the offensive line has been great. They've really struggled being consistent in the run game right now. They're 94th in college football, running the football, averaging 140 yards a game. And that includes just the 34 yards rushing they had last week. I know they got in a bit of a hold. It became a throwathon later in the game, but man, you gotta be able to create some balance offensively. And they just haven't really been able to consistently do that. So uh, I think that NC state is a little one dimensional right now and Florida state, Hey, they haven't been great against the run either. I mean, they're giving up 150 yards a game right now. That's 78th in college football, so that's a lot. Uh, and they need to be cleaner when it comes to penalties as well. I mean, you look at FSU, they had 11 penalties for 96 yards last week against Wake Forest. And a lot of people are saying, hey, well, I mean, I saw the game too. Uh, there were some calls that I thought could have been made against Wake Forest, um, especially in the secondary. But, hey, it doesn't matter. It, Florida State ultimately still needs to be a little bit cleaner. Uh, I also think, too, there were some plays left on the field from Jordan Travis, no doubt. But ultimately, they just couldn't run the ball with the same level of efficiency that they've really run it with in the past. Now, they had 112 rushing yards in the game. 
you know, 87 of those came through Treshawn Ward, but Wake Forest, you know, they were able to kind of bottle up Jordan Travis in the run game. And he only ran the ball six times. The longest carry of the day was only four yards. So when the offensive line plays the way they played last week, they're going to be very gettable offensively. Now they have great wideouts, and I still think they have excellent running backs, but the offensive line, that was their worst performance, I thought, of the year. So you're going now up against a pretty good defensive front in NC State. It's a really good matchup this weekend. I lean ever so slightly, ever so slightly in favor of NC State, but uh, I do think Florida State has the right recipe. If they can play the way they did in the first month of the season, they have the right recipe to pull off the upset, especially if NC State's licking their wounds off the performance last week. All right, we'll burn through these final two ones here. Number nine, will Spencer Sanders in OK State continue to roll? Well, he exercised his demons against Baylor, so that's got to be a relief for everybody that supports the Pokes, right? Look, he had just one interception last week, which you know, you're going to say, yeah, you can't turn the ball over. Fine. I, one pick is a whole heck of a lot better than a guy that in four previous games had 11 career turnovers against Baylor. So, hey, we'll take it. All day long, I thought it was a better performance. And when his career stat line is five touchdowns against 11 turnovers against one team, it's it's not good, including the forward that he threw against Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. So he was able to exercise those demons. I thought Oklahoma State did a pretty good job in the run game. Uh, we're talking about a pretty good run defense that Baylor jogs out there every single week. And a run you know, for 166 yards was pretty dang impressive. That's the most the Bears have given up in a single game since Oklahoma State ran for 219 during the regular season game last year. So I, I think that right now, when you look at Oklahoma State, Spencer Sanders is going to get a lot of love, and and, they sh- and he should. But I also think, too, man, the difference I thought for Oklahoma State in this game was the red zone performance. They were 5-for-5 five five scoring, but they scored three touchdowns against just two field goals. The last time they played in the Big 12 championship game, they were 4-for-5 scoring. Of course, the the big one being the last play of the game. They didn't score there. That was the one they didn't score, but they had just one touchdown against three field goals. So finishing drives in the end zone is of the utmost importance for Oklahoma State. They did a better job of that this past week. And I do think when you look at where they're at on third and fourth down and critical drive extending downs, they got to be a little bit better there. All right. They have to be a little bit better there. Yes, they were six of 15 on third down, which... You know, not not the end of the world, but 40% is nowhere near where you want to be. You got to be 50 plus uh, as you move forward, especially with the quarterback that you have. So Oklahoma State, I think, is well positioned to continue to make a run. But there are some things to tweak and some things to improve as the Big 12 schedule continues to tighten up. All right. And number 10, lastly, will Michigan State put up a fight against Ohio State? It's difficult to say yes at this point, right? Um, Let's start with Peyton Thorne. I think in order to beat Ohio State, you got to be able to score. And right now, Peyton Thorne's been really up and down. And and if we're going to look at it, you know, big picture, he hasn't been what we thought he'd be this year. Now, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily played bad at any point, but he threw a couple picks against Akron. It looked a little bit better against Washington, especially late in the game when he kind of led that surge and, and made it somewhat, you know, compelling. But you know, against Minnesota, it was like, you know, I mean, threw for 132 yards, you know, just never really managed much and a couple of interceptions and a fumble in that game too. So uh, the 
I thought that against Maryland early on, he played pretty well. You know, hit the first six passes, helped move the ball early on. But there in the second half, I mean, it kind of went back to some of the things we saw earlier in the year where he's missing just guys that are open, sailed a couple overthrows. I mean, he just doesn't look comfortable right now. And in order to knock off Ohio State, your quarterback better play dang good in the process. I think defensively, too. And also, you know, if you're playing Ohio State, we know this. I don't need to tell you this. You better be good defensively. Now, if you look at how the defense played for Michigan State early on in that football game, it was like, oh boy, you know, here things, here things are going. But in the second half, they, they showed a little bit of progress, allowing just six points in the second half against Maryland. It's like, all right, hey, maybe this is a little bit more where they need to be. They ultimately gave up nearly 500 yards, which is not, you know, where you want to be. But ultimately, they need to force some turnovers this week if they want to make things interesting. And they were doing a great job there that first couple of weeks. And those things have kind of gone away from them a little bit here these last couple of weeks. So I think that they're in a tough spot. They haven't recorded an interception yet. They haven't really done a whole lot defensively to make me feel great about it. And I've been probably they're among the, probably the most disappointing teams of the season so far. So uh, I think things are going to get sideways badly uh, unless somehow Michigan state puts their best performance on the field that they've done this season. All right. Thanks for being with us guys. We really, really appreciate Brett Bielema taking the time to join us as he continues what's been a great start to the season for the Fighting Illini. We also appreciate you hanging with us for the 10 questions that we want answers to this weekend of the college football season. Please like, rate, and subscribe on the ESPN YouTube channel, or if you're here with us via the podcast, hit us up. We really appreciate that. Leave a review, leave a comment, make it five stars on your review. We're great with all those things. That'd be awesome. Hit us up on our social media at alwayscfb on our Gmail at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. The interaction really helps. And please continue to spread the word because word of mouth is huge. Our marketing budget is essentially zero. So uh, all we can do is just ask for you to tell your friends about what we're doing at Always College Football and how we're trying to celebrate the sport every single day. So we really appreciate the word of mouth. And thanks for being with us each and every day of the college football season. For all of us here at Always College Football, he's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.